Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. podcast please go to itunes and rate them or leave a review uh, you can also find it at unbeatablemind.com slash podcast and you can drop your email into our opt-in form there so you can get all the latest news and you know interesting things that we're up to so help me spread the word about the actual podcast itself as well as the super cool guests that we have on the show to include my guest today wesley chapman so i'm honored to be talking to wesley wesley's a man who's closely aligned with my mission of empowering youth Wesley is an expert on human behavior and development, and I'll get to that word human uh, later because he actually uses it as an acronym. Anyways, Wesley's teachings are now being used by hundreds of individuals, schools, and governments across the world. His goal is to educate children on their real options in life, informing them that by dreaming, acting, and nurturing their possibilities, they can achieve and succeed whatever they set their mind to. How cool. He's a founder of A Human Project and Superhuman co-hosts his own podcast called The Human Project Podcast. And I love this. He's writing his biography, which he's titled Runt. <laughs> I love that. Welcome, Wesley. Thanks for, thanks for joining me today. <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, this is an honor. I've yes. been watching you for a while. <laughs> That's very cool. I appreciate that. So are you really a runt? I mean, what, what's up with that? Let's start with that. I mean, yeah, so I mean that jumps ahead in the story a little bit, but <laughs> who my who my dad is, you know, he is I guess you could call him a famous guy. He's Dog the Bounty Hunter. Oh no and kidding. so yeah, so just the the whole concept of of dog and the name and all of that. And then in reality I am one of the I'm taller than my dad, but he's definitely lifts more weights than I do. So and as a as a child I was always very small and a lot of the medications that I took didn't enable me to uh do a lot of growth right. in my so I've I've I had some stunted growth and things like that so it kind of comes around that as a legitimate or I mean as a literal but as a figurative concept it is this idea that I was the one that was given up on kind of cast to the side huh. and you know was was put out on the street and just kind of said you'll never be anything and so that's the actual meaning of it is yeah. that this concept of of a lot of times we give up on on things just because of the way that they may appear. Right. Did you do you feel like society did that, or, or was there some actual, you know, sidelining in your family where whether conscious or subconscious, you were kind of ignored or not focused on as much? Well, it started by being abandoned by my dad when I was one. 
okay. um, my biological dad, who we just you know chatted about, and then being abandoned by my biological mom when I was six and a half. So those two things combined wow. kind of led to to that, and then of course going into the system, doing all that fun stuff. At the age of seven and a half, they basically came out and said that I was. I was too broken. I was a damaged product and that the post-traumatic stress that I, that I would go through in my life, the anxiety, the depression, all of these things would just basically make me not an asset in the world. So it was, it was definitely started with family, then went to society. And then, of course, you know, I went in to, to the uh, elementary schools and middle schools and was teased and, and bullied like, like you couldn't believe. A lot of kids go through that, but I definitely had my fair share of the bullying. So it really was a message that was sent to me until oh, probably my, my early teens. Right. Wow. Interesting. So you went to a number of foster homes. Was it the foster home system that you were talking alluding to? Um, I actually was blessed that I never went into a traditional foster home. I went into a couple of different like boys shelters and right. whatnot, but I was able to at about seven and a half, eight years old, a woman came into my life who I call mom, uh-huh. but more importantly, she was my hero and she started to believe in me, uh, which was a long, crazy journey. In fact, I just sent her a text message last night because we kind of had an emotional experience at the organization, some some great growth that happened. But I sent her a text message last night just saying, you know, thank you for believing in me because she was literally the only person in my my young adult life that believed in me, that thought that I could actually accomplish anything. So I was lucky, but I did bounce in and out of hospitals and different treatment facilities. And, you know, uh, they call them halfway houses or whatnot, but basically just places that I would stay for a few days and, and bounce back and forth. But I never got into, you know, having to go and, and go into like a foster care home for six months and then be kicked out and all that kind of stuff. Right. Wow. It must have been incredibly challenging. And I imagine that. It is very difficult to break out of that system, that negative loop. Oh. It is. It is. It actually took me – I tried to commit suicide 12 times before my 16th birthday. And it was actually after my 16th birthday that my liver failed. And so I, uh, I, was, in, I was into this you know, entire world of wanting to die, being told to take after, – after I was diagnosed with all these different mental illnesses, they gave me – just a ton of different pills. And then I had pills for the pills, side effects. And, and so I was, I was on roughly between 20 to 25 different medications every day. And my liver from the age, I started being medicated at four and a half years old. And so my liver by the age of 16 had just been toxified to a point that it was just done. And uh, the doctors gave me an 80% chance of dying and a 20% chance of living and my teenage mentality saved my life. The teenage mentality was, number one, these doctors had told me these would save my life. And now they're telling me that they've, you know, that these pills will, are going to kill me. Right. And so I rebelled against the system of, you know, common medicine. And then the second thing was, was the mentality and this concept of they're telling me I'm going to die, but I've never lived. I've, I've never, I've never had a life. So how can I, how can I die? So that kind of gave me enough strength and enough willpower to, really start the journey of repairing my life and my existence. These ideas, which are very powerful ideas that got you, you know, out of that rut, where did they come from? I mean, was it this woman who helped you? Did she dialogue with you and, and help plant some uh, positive thinking or some possibilities in your mind? Or did these just come from your soul, do you think? Or I think it's a mixture of both, honestly. I, I've, I've pondered that question a lot now that we're working with youth all around the world and we're instilling these systems and I look at it and you know sometimes it works and, and these youth grab on and they, they rock it and they take off and then other times they, 
they just give up. And I've wondered, we're providing the messaging, we're providing the the, the proof, we're providing the storyline, we're providing them the blueprint, but yet a lot of these kids are still choosing to, I call it, be a victim. They're still choosing to be a victim. They're still choosing that path. So I think it's a mixture. I definitely know I could not have done it on my own. Right. She was instrumental in in showing me love, but there were a lot of ups and downs. I mean, I was not an easy kid to raise. <laughs> There's a lot of stories that can be talked about about me. Usually when I came home, especially in the summer, if I would come home after a day of playing, it was because I was either being escorted by uh, some men in blue or uh, <laughs> or some neighbor was pulling me by the ear. You know, I, I may or may not have almost burnt down a 7-Eleven. So, I mean, just uh, – <laughs> A lot of things that she had to endure, but she always – and it wasn't really what she said, and I think that's the key to this conversation. It's not right. the words that we use. It's the actions, right. and she never gave up on me. She never abandoned me. She fought for me. She – I mean we, uh, we, had, we just have so many crazy stories, but my, my biological mom tried to come back and get me because the welfare laws changed, and the more kids you had, the more money you got. Sure. And so she came about three or four years after she abandoned me to try to come and get me. And my, 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 So that's my biological mom, but the, the woman I call mom, her name's Karen. Karen actually crawled through an irrigation ditch with me to hide me from to hide me from her. I mean, it was just things like that that I'll never forget. You know, you, wow. you're laying in an irrigation ditch with a woman just holding you and, and telling you everything's going to be okay. And, and in reality, you, you don't at, you know, nine, 10 years old, you don't really know what's going on. And then to learn later that she was doing that to protect me. I mean, those, those are the things that you just, right. I mean, it's, it's going to get me to tear up. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's, it was a combination of both. You're going to get me to tear up too. Holy cow. <laughs> Man, what, just what, an amazingly fortuitous thing for you to have Karen come in your life. And she was your harbor. I mean, you went out and you did your stuff and you were help raising hell and you were being the runt of the litter. You couldn't avoid that because that's all the patterning, but you had her to go home to. Yes. Wow. That, that's really cool. Now, I read somewhere that you actually started a business around the age of eight. So it sounds like you were pretty busy doing other stuff at that age. So what was this business and how did that come about? Well, you know, again, just more story is that uh, at the so at the age of eight is when Karen brought me into her home, and about six months after she brought me in, she uh, she came down uh, with fibromyalgia. She was one of the first females to. She was a government employee. She worked for the Veterans Hospital. She was up in the administration, fairly successful. But uh, she came down with fibromyalgia, and at this, this was in the '80s. Nobody knew what this was. They just thought it was, you know, arthritis on steroids, basically. But you know, it eats your nerves. So she was losing her nerves, and she lost the use of her arms and her legs. And so, at about eight and a half years old, again, all of this amazing stuff that we've talked about—her love and everything—but more importantly, when I looked at her, she was my hero. And six months into this journey of of living with her. Things were starting to be said that a you know a little boy overhears like I don't know how we're going to keep the house the car it was just her and I and we didn't know how she didn't know how she was going to keep going on because she had lost her job and all these different things and so uh, in that moment I just I'll never forget sitting on a tire swing out in our yard and and just kind of looking around at at our yard but more importantly just processing my life and just going through this this genealogy of me that had happened already one and a half or one my dad leaves six and a half my mom leaves everybody's given up on me now this one woman that that actually believes in me can't 
looks like she can't keep me anymore. You know, all these things going on and, and what's the common thread, you know, what, what, what's the common thread. And I realized the common thread was money. I was told that my dad left because, you know, he needed a better job. I was told that my mom couldn't, you know, pay to keep me anymore. And now here's this, you know, here's this, there's no money to keep Wes again. And so as I looked around the yard and the place that we lived at, she was an amazing gardener, still is to this day. The property that she lives on now has been featured in magazines, all this kind of stuff for its, you know, it's just, it's landscaping. And she was a green thumb. We had a beautiful rose garden, lilacs, tulips, peonies, daylilies. I mean, anything you could possibly imagine growing in your yard and in the West we had. And as I looked around at this yard, I kind of had this flashback moment of going grocery shopping with her. And every time we'd go grocery shopping, she would buy a bushel of flowers and then take those flowers and put them in the, you know, on the kitchen table. And that didn't make sense to me as a kid because it was like, why are we wasting the money? Why don't we just go and and grab these flowers out of our yard? And so in that moment, I had a plan. I thought, you know what? If we're silly enough to go and buy these flowers at the grocery store, then what about all of our neighbors who stop by and take pictures and, and, you know, brides who come and do their bridles in our front yard and all these different things. And so I ran inside and started, grabbed a pair of scissors and then came outside and started whacking the flowers, got on my BMX and went out and started selling flowers and went door to door learned a lot. There's so many business lessons I can teach people now just at this one day, you know, from I started off at five bucks, thought that was a lot of money. And then I challenged myself to get to 10 and then 15 and eventually settled at about, I could sell these things for 20 bucks. And I could also sell them better to um, women than I could to men. And so, you know, I just started figuring all this stuff out and started figuring out my gifts, started figuring out, you know, what, what I had. And uh, at the end of that first day, I went home. And again, remember, when I left for an entire period of time like that, it usually didn't. I usually didn't come home, you know, in a positive light. <laughs> and so when I got back, my mom was was sitting on the edge of her bed with her arms in slings. She had both of her arms up in slings, and she was crying. She had a really bad day, and she was probably and then wonder, on, wondering where all her flowers went. It, that and where's <laughs> where's this you know troubled little boy? Right. And so. It took me about 15 minutes to calm her down and convince her that I, you know, hadn't done anything crazy. And then I started pulling out money from my pockets. And then that started a whole nother thing of like, wait a minute, you said you didn't do anything, but now where'd this money come from? <laughs> and, and so we've had some post conversations now in our adult, in my adult life about this, her feelings was going on. But um, in my mind, I was just laying out the solution and Finally, she believed me and, and I started pulling out money from everywhere a little eight and a half year old boy could possibly stuff money, my socks, my underwear, you know, my back pockets <laughs> everywhere. And we started counting the money and it and it got up to 500 bucks and some change okay. that I had made selling those flowers. And she, I'll never forget it. I mean, it's kind of like my mantra in the entrepreneurial world is that she turned to me after this whole like 45 minutes of just, you know, back and forth emotional roller coaster. She turned to me. And at the edge of her bed and just looked at me dead in the eyes with this little half smile on her face. And she just said, go out and sell more flowers. And, and that was the permission that I needed to, you know, to just try this out and to see if I could find worth in this. And I did. And I also found a lot of negativity in money as well. It became my heroin. It became my crack cocaine. I did anything and everything I could in the entrepreneurial space to grow, you know, to grow financially because it became a shield. It became something that made it so I did not have to talk to people about my story, my life, my existence, nothing. And it also gave me power, which I'd never had before. And so that started, that was the start of my entrepreneur career. Now I've had my ups and downs. I've lost money. I've, you know, 
any story of an entrepreneur, I, I've had it, but I've definitely been in a space where it's just, it's part of my DNA. It really is. I mean, even my father is, is an entrepreneur in, in many, many, many respects. So it's, uh, but that day gave me the permission to yeah. just go there. Yeah. So what other flowers, metaphorically speaking, did you end up selling? What, what, what other projects did you get involved in? What schemes did you cook up? The flowers lasted for two, about two seasons, did really, really well. I ended up hiring neighbor kids, found that I couldn't sell to men very well, but there was a little neighbor girl who I employed and she could sell flowers to men very easily. So it was just sure. learning that. And then, I mean, we had Memorial Day sales. We, it, it was a legitimate, like, we were doing this thing. And again, Karen stepped in, my mom stepped in and was really supportive. But then we realized, look, we're running out of supply. Like uh, this is I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. There's a limited supply there. Exactly. And so, but what I started realizing is we had customers, we had neighbors that, you know, loved it. They were respecting us. And I started looking around at their problems. You know, that that's the key right. to an entrepreneur's success is find a problem, solve it for his, you know, find the problem that the most people have and solve it for them. Right. As uh, as is stated, if you want to become a billionaire, solve a problem for a billion people. You know, so I started looking around and I found a common thread in our area, and that was that these housewives would, and we lived in a pretty pretty nice area. Karen was, like I said, she was doing doing very well, but these housewives would have a minivan or you know Winnebago or whatever sitting in the driveway, and it was disgusting. It was you know kids' handprints on the windows, whatever. And I would say, hey, why don't you ever wash your car? Oh, I don't have time between, you know, Sally's basketball and this and that and all this stuff. And I said, well, hey, guess what? I'll come to your house and I'll wash your car for 15 bucks. And so we started taking our existing clients that we were selling flowers to and we started washing their cars and in their driveways, which was really, I mean, this was in, was in 89. So, I mean, this was a very kind of progressive idea, at least in the area that I lived. You didn't have to take your car to a car wash, like it came to you, you know? And so, uh, you know, we, got extension cords and I, we had an old Kirby vacuum. Those things are freaking like titanium rockets there. You can't hurt them, but you know, and we would vacuum the cars, we would wash them and Karen would come behind me and be like, Nope, that one wasn't done well enough. And so she taught me the, you know, the concept of work and she would say, you got to rewash those windows that there's streaks on the car. And so we legitimately gave amazing car washes. And because of that, we started the third summer of my entrepreneur life we had people, I think my mom has a picture of it. We had 40 cars in our front lawn on one Saturday. And I had employed as many kids in the neighborhood as I possibly could. I was paying them in Skittles for the first year, which was awesome. And then the parents came back and I learned labor laws really fast. But, uh, but yeah, so that started there and then that fledged into landscaping. Now, that was the next journey. Again, just I saw dirt. I saw a problem. And we started planting trees, mowing lawns, doing water features. That grew. That was really my teenage years. I really, I still love landscaping to this day, but I'm, I'm not a very big guy. And so I don't like manual labor, but I love the art of selling and marketing. And so at about 17 years old, I got very proficient in computers, got very good at telling stories. And we started the journey of technology and I wrote my first program and and then that turned into digital marketing, which turned into full-fledged marketing campaigns. And then we started doing micro marketing for companies uh, like Microsoft and and uh, Jana King and Verizon and G and K and Franklin Covey, and and it just grew and grew and grew and just kept going. So, does that organization still exist today? No, it doesn't. Because part of this journey of of as I stated in before about the the crack cocaine of money. Right. 
is that about 10 years ago, I started looking at my life and I just said, I'm not happy. You know, I had nine cars, I had the big house, I had all the stuff that everybody said, you know, I was in magazines, I, I didn't wait in lines, I had my own reserve table. I mean, I was, I was living this, like, this life that no one said I could ever live, but at the same time, I was incredibly unhappy. And there's a whole story that goes along in there, but the end of it was is that I finally realized that I had just been lying. I hadn't been true to myself, I hadn't been true to those around me. Nobody knew. I had six different last names throughout my childhood between, you know, bouncing back and forth. Karen ended up getting remarried. There's a whole story there. The guy was incredibly abusive. I mean, it was just like all these things. And I hated going home. I hated being in in certain spaces, but I love being in business. And so I would do anything and everything I possibly could to extend that existence. And and I would sacrifice myself. I, I wore $4,000 suits and made money. That's all anyone ever knew about me. Nobody knew about my, my passions or my, what I love to do. Nobody knew about my father. No one knew about my childhood. Right. And so 10 years ago, I just finally realized that I was living this fictional lie. And I went on a journey to fix that. And part of that journey was, uh, I guess it's been about six or so years ago now, I decided to leave the entrepreneurial space as I knew it and go and just started interviewing people. I started going to conferences and going to places and networking and in the exact opposite. I went to the self-help world, which is interesting. I went to, you know, interviewing military vets. I, I just started interviewing anyone that would possibly sit down with me and have a conversation about what is happiness. And obviously, you know, you do the full circle and, and I can save people about a half a million dollars if they listen to this part right here Perfect. is that happiness is inside of you. Um, it, it, it doesn't come from an external force. But I went on that journey and then that journey eventually led me to speaking in a public school and telling my story. I started writing a blog, started getting things going, just being honest with people and spoke in a public school, which changed my life forever. That was two and a half years ago now. Okay. And that's... That's what I finally found my calling in life, which is to to share this story, to share this message, to inspire youth to, as you, you know, in the intro, to empower themselves and to really understand that at the end of the day, we're all human. And that that's that's a big word that we just throw around. Right. But what does it mean? And so now that's what I do. I travel I travel the globe and speak to youth in schools and in boys' homes and foster facilities and Anywhere I can possibly, whether there's 10 youth or, you know, a thousand, it doesn't matter. And, you know, we've created programs and and online communities. And in this last two and a half years, we've gone from it being an idea in the garage to now we're in 13 countries, you know. So it's... uh, it's been amazing, and it's and it's my calling, and it's where I know I'm supposed to be, and it's where I it's where I'm fueled. Hey, you know, yoga is for warriors. Maybe you've heard that my new book, Kokoro Yoga, is out. I'm totally stoked about this book. It's been over a year in the making. So go to warrioryoga.com to buy the book. Because if you do, I'll give you a couple free things, such as the first chapter of the book, as well as a video for recovery. So prepare your body, mind, and spirit on your quest to self-mastery by checking out Kokoro Yoga. Go to warrioryoga.com. Hoo-ya. How old are you now, Wesley? I am, what year is it, 16? I'm 2035. Uh, you're 35, okay. You, you look like you're about 19 or 20. That is, my, that is my gift. <laughs> that is my gift. I don't sleep, I don't eat, and I look like I'm 12, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, Those are that. my superpowers. Yeah. That'll be your next entrepreneurial venture. So right? you, you turned your eyes away from 
you know, the externally, you know, motivating world of just accumulating material wealth and, and outer business. And you turned it kind of more toward your inner business of uh, understanding yourself and understanding happiness. And that led to the human project. And can you explain the acronym human? What, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So when we, and, and a human project, like I said, it started as an accident. We were, was never searching for this. I never imagined in a million years that I would write 11 blogs that would change my life. I mean, that, that just never was something that I thought about. And so when I, when we sat down and we came up with, what are we going to call this business, this nonprofit? I wanted something around the word human. I just felt that it was, it was so crucial. And so in that exploration and in that journey, I started analyzing what really makes us human. And I broke it down into, as you said, this acronym of hope, understanding, making a choice, action, and nourishing. And it, and it doesn't matter if you're going through a negative, crappy life or if you're just going through your everyday life. When we wake up in the morning, we hope that everything you know, is going to go as we plan. We, we hope that we have what it takes to make the day happen. We hope we have enough energy, all these different things. But we have to understand certain things about our lives. We have to understand certain things about ourselves. Then we have to ultimately make the choice. And then as we, as after we've made a choice, we have to take action. And then we have to cur- constantly be nourishing not just our, our minds but also our bodies. I mean, as you know, there's not enough conversation going on, especially in this country, the United States, about the importance of nourishment in our for our bodies and, and how critical that is for our longevity. A pill doesn't just fix everything. You know, you, you can't just go through your 20s beating the crap out of this thing and then expect to be 65 and everything's good. So the hope part is really where we come in as far as a human project and we show these children. I, the definition of hope to me has been completely screwed up. You know, it's this, this concept of I hope – I'm in a burning building and I hope a fireman come and saves me. That's helplessness. That's not hope. Uh, hope is the understand is this concept where you've seen somebody else similar to you or has similar you know life less or life patterns or whatever as you did and they've done something that you want to aspire to do so it's basically a roadmap it's a blueprint and that's really what we teach these youth in the story right in the story of of my life of where i've come from and all these different things they can see that regardless of their circumstances regardless of their race regardless of where they're born regardless of any of this they can rise from the ashes like a phoenix you know i'm standing in front of them i don't save lives i don't change lives i am simply proof that's it i'm just the proof if you want proof if you want a visual proof here it is and so that's, that's where the first step is. And then the understanding is where we start to have a conversation with them about just understanding what they can control and what they can't control. And, and this is where we have a quote, put the victim to bed, wake the hero up instead. And this is that element where we start to tell them, like, you have to have an understanding of what life is about. And it's, it's, you have to have an understanding of the choices your parents have made. You have to have an understanding of the choices that you've made. And now you need to make a choice, which leads us very fluidly into the next stage. What are you going to do? Are you going to go left or are you going to go right? And some kids choose to go left, which means to keep going back, you know, to keep doing the same things they're doing over and over again and hope for a different result. We know what that means. But other kids will say, you know what? I want to make a choice. I want to, I want to change my life. And then we guide them through, okay, what action steps do you need to take? What do you need to create? And this is a blueprint. This is a plan. I mean, imagine this is a, if you're in business, this is your business plan, but this is for their lives. This is what are you going to do to make these things happen? Simple things. We, we start every child out with a 20-minute exercise regimen every day. 
something simple. If they're, you know, if they're not physically fit and they've got limitations, it can be a walk. Um, we tell them to reduce their sugar intake. We mean just really simple things like that. And then meditation, we talk to them about conversation skills, uh, you know, just all these simple action steps that they can take. And then once they prove to themselves, what's really amazing is to watch a child who says, I can't get off sugar, right? Sugar is a big problem. I can't get off sugar. I love sugar. And then we challenge them to do it and then they do it. And then six months later, they'll send an email or, or a correspondence to our team and they'll say, oh my gosh, I haven't had sugar for six months. I feel amazing. It's so awesome. I can do anything. That is the key. Now they've proven to themselves that they have the power, aka they've empowered themselves. And then, and then the last step of this is nourishing. And we teach them, go back and, and remember the hope. Remember that lesson that you saw. Remember the blueprint. Remember the understanding. Remember the choices that you made. Remember the action steps. And then also, that's the mind nourishing. And then also the nourishing of their bodies and all of that fun stuff. And then, so that's what it means to the individual. And then to our organization has completely different meanings. Same words, but different ways in which we approach it. So we broke that down into a program and a system. And it's it's simple. But now it's a two hundred thousand. Well, we're in the middle of of uh, investing about two hundred thousand dollars into an online website, community center, support deal for for youth around the world. So, but that's been the the building block and the blueprint of our whole program. That's we're true. also we're also doing a a, a youth ranch. Uh, we're super excited about as well. We're uh, we're looking to personally buy about a hundred acres. But uh, one of my good friends, Joe DeSena, over at uh, Spartan Race, he's uh, donating his big a state out in Ver- Vermont this year for us to run our camp. Great. So lots of stuff going on. That's great. Joe's a friend of mine. I've been there many times and that's a great place to, uh, yeah, to do some work. And, um, there's another friend of ours up there who runs the pro- program called get Burley. Who's got, uh, got great connections with the, um, the youth up in that area. So love to connect you with, uh, um, yeah, please do. That. that would be awesome. Yeah. And they work out at Joe's ranch as well as a uh, farm. He calls it. That's yeah. really cool. So I was going to ask you that. So you actually provide live training uh, so these kids, kids can get hands-on experience in learning how to PT every day, learning how to meditate? Yep. And not just that, but uh, we're so our, our website is basically think of it as like an e-learning center, right? Uh, we are putting 365 courses into this website. So the idea is, is that a child can go through one course a day, which is really nothing because these courses are about 10 to 15 minutes long. They have a quiz at the end of them. It's all gamified. The way that the children get to camp, so the way that they pay to come to camp, I used air quotes there because they don't they don't financially pay anything. Everything is 100% free. But the way they pay their way into camp is by going through the courses, finalizing the courses, passing the quizzes that each course has associated with it, and then they're, they're given points for doing that, which is currency in our system. And so, and it's legit. Uh, every point equates to a dollar sixty. So they earn a point. It's equivalent to a dollar sixty, which means if camp costs three thousand dollars, they've got to get X Y Z amount of points. Mm. So they're working for it, which is a different mind shift. We're rewarding them for positive stuff, which is something that we don't talk enough about with our kids. Mm-hmm. But anyway, these courses are on everything. I've got Gary Vaynerchuk who's going to do a course on entrepreneurialism. Nice. We've got fitness people. You know, we'd love to talk to you about putting something together, all targeted Excellent. to that 14 to 20-year-old you know, age group mm-hmm. and empowering them and giving them the skill set so they can literally go into this online community and learn about anything that they want to learn about. You know, we've got connections with Jason Mraz about playing guitar. You want to learn how to play guitar? Here's, you know, here's this guy. Cool. The key to all of it is having – the person who's teaching the lesson be relatable to these youth. Right. 
we played with celebrities in the training space, you know, like the Tony Robbins and the Bob Proctors and things like that. And these children just didn't, they didn't connect to those lessons. They're looking for, like I said, that first step, hope. They're looking for somebody that they can associate with and say, this person gets me, I'll listen to them now. And so the first video in our course series is the course instructor kind of getting raw and real and saying, this is my story. This is where I came from. This is why I'm going to teach you what I'm about to teach you. And so that child has a frame of reference going into the lesson. So lots of different things. And then we do, we do some fun stuff where we drop in like Xboxes and mountain bikes into their, their journey so that as they're earning points, we can be like, hey, you have enough points to get a t-shirt or a mountain bike or whatever and teach them to make that decision of getting something material or saving for that experience. So there's, there's just a lot of different fun psychological games that we play. So that sounds fascinating. Cool. Yeah. I'd love to, love to help you out if there's a a connection there. What about your own training for balance and uh, spiritual development? And, um, you know, what's your day look like? How do you nurture your emotional well-being and your spiritual well-being? That's funny. I, I just recently got on Snapchat, which I've, been avoiding like the plague and uh <laughs> Me too. but but these that's just where these kids are so i've i've got to learn it and i did my first snapchat rant yesterday which is exactly on that topic still not sure if i like that platform but whatever um <laughs> but i i was taking my dog i i started working I, I usually get up around 6 6 o'clock in the morning i have a spartan course in my backyard up here in lake arrowhead nice. because i i don't like I, I love working out, but I love it to be more of a self competition. So you give me a basketball or a soccer ball or a football and or a tennis ball, I don't really care. And you say this is the objective, go do it. Uh-huh. I'll do it for thirteen hours. You know, I that part. You say, here's a gym, do this stuff, and I'm like, Yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, five minutes in, I'm bored. So I after I did a Spartan race, I'm like, I can do this every day. So I've got this nine-minute Spartan course in my backyard. I actually had a um, rescue swimmer go through my course, which is pretty intense. These guys go through a lot. But he went through the course and he said, you know what? That's that's like probably in the top five exercise I've ever done. I'm like, cool. I, I, I like to hear that. Yeah. Uh, so I start with that and then uh, you know start working. And so yesterday I was doing my, my daily routine and I have a dog and I said, you know what, we're going to go on a little hike. So I grabbed my dog and we went on a hike. And the rant that I did and the reason that I brought that up is because I talked about how we don't have enough balance in our lives. Right. We we talk a lot about hustle and a lot about grind. Sorry, Gary. We use those words and it's almost becoming like a fad. Like if you're not hustling, you're not working. If you're not grinding, you're not going to have success. And that's just a myth. It's just a plain myth. Every single human being on the planet, including Gary, has their thing that recharges them. Gary's happens to be the hustle and the grind, but that's uh-huh. that's a very rare thing. And so everybody needs to take that time to recharge. Mine is nature. If I don't spend some time in the woods, if I don't spend some time with, you know, basically the thought of a mountain lion, lion jumping out at any moment, like I don't feel recharged. That's that's where I get that energy and that recharge. Right. And so on a daily basis, I do as much as I possibly can to just smell some trees, you know, as crazy as that sounds. But 
And then meditation, it's something that I do often. Any, any, any time of silence, any time that I don't need to be talking or I can like on an airplane or, you know, things like that, rather than opening up my laptop and, and doing work, I use those moments in my personal life because I travel so much. I use the airplane as a lot of self-meditation. So the key to all of this and the, the strategy behind it, so it, all of this rambling makes sense, is that you need to take moments throughout your day to really re-energize and recharge yourself. And I call it regrounding yourself. Too many people do the system of like, I get up at six, I do what I eat, you know, and then I go on my day and then nine o'clock I stop working, whatever. You need to be doing those things throughout your day, giving yourself that little charge throughout the entire, you know, your entire day. Right. And that's something that we teach these youth is that it's not about just meditating for 20 minutes a day and then checking it off the list. It's about really when you have, you know, emotions or feelings coming up, to allow yourself to go to a, to a place where you can process those and you can, you know, you can work through those different things. And if you need somebody to help you do that, you need to have those systems in play as well. So, but my, my daily routine is crazy uh, just because of how much we have going on, but I still try to add those little, you know, those little moments of hypercharges. Nice. Yeah, I agree with that. I call them spot drills. Um, it is very important to just pause and to reconnect, you know, throughout the day. And That's I love using cool. burpees. Um, I, I may be, I might be that weird guy in the airport that will literally do burpees before getting on a flight. I do burpees before I speak, you know, and that, that's just a really simple little workout, but it definitely for me gets my whole body just kind of like instantly energized. So, but, uh, yeah, when I was 16, I, as I was telling that story, I mean, 80% chance of, of dying and 20% chance of living. I, uh, I gave up on all whatever we call it, modern medicine, I gave up on all of it. I, I refused to go to doctors. I went cold turkey on my meds, which was a nightmare for my body. But I haven't taken a pill since I was 16. And I don't put anything foreign in my body. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink alcohol. I mean, very rarely I'll have like a, a drink here and there. But uh, I don't drink pop. I don't drink, you know, caffeine. I, I, have, I went very extreme but then I started researching the brain and I've spent about a million dollars of my own money, maybe a little bit more, researching how the brain works and how the chemistry in our bodies work. And, and that's why I said in the beginning of this interview is that I call the colon our second brain. You know, I mean, it is so important what we put in our bodies because the mass majority of our chemical makeup of what, what goes and circulates into our brain and circulates through our body comes from that colon. And if we're not taking care of that, it's massive. So you know, I did a lot of self-experimenting and self-research, met with a lot of individuals, did a lot of research like on, on individuals like Dr. Reif. And, and uh, you know, one of my favorites right now is the biology of belief with Bruce Lipton, you know, just kind of some of his stuff and just some of the things that are, uh, you know, that are out there in that world. But there's, there's just so much. It's so exciting. And I, I'm a research junkie. I, I love researching. So, right. If, um, if a parent was listening to this podcast, which I know a lot of the Unveiled Mind folks are mothers and fathers, um, what advice could you give them to help them make their kids more resilient? That's a great question. I think we do a lot of coddling, just to be really honest. Uh, if, if your child is in a let, let me let me preface this with this, you know, mom, dad, everything's going well. You know, your husband's got a great job or your wife's at home, whatever, wherever you are listening to this, we're, we're just going to stereotype and say that for the most part, things are stable and, and things are going well. You've got a really good opportunity to really teach your child some, some real lessons in life. And for some reason, this generation of parents 
it, we just overcoddle our children way too much. I will tell you right now, I, I say this a lot when I speak to adults, it's your job to teach your child as much as possible. And at a certain age, you're done and it's on them. They're going to make their decisions. Every child is different, but usually that we start seeing that around 13, 14 years old. So that zero to that zero to 10 is in a crucial, crucial time in child development. But one of the things that, that you really have to realize as a parent is if you don't teach your child, YouTube will. Right. So it's you or YouTube. And if you really want to be terrified, if you're trying to, you know, give your child a really grounded experience in life, you really want to be terrified of what your kid has exposure to, go do some common searches like how to kiss or, you know, how to go on a first date or how to overcome sadness on YouTube. Uh, you know, how to overcome sadness, cut. How to make, how to kiss, well, this is where you put your hands. Huh. You know what I mean? There, there are, there's content and these aren't being created by creepy 40-year-old dudes. This content is being created by their peers. Right. And so they're trusting it. They're believing it. So my first thing to a parent who is in this situation like we outlined is really get raw and real with your child to the level in which they can handle that and make sure that they see you as someone that they can come to and learn from and that they're not going to be you know, terrified to come to you because you're, you know, you're, you're not speaking honest and real to them. The number one thing I get every time from youth is you're just real. You talk to me like I'm an adult. And that's a gift, and, and I understand that, and I also know I'm an outsider. I get all of those things. But in the reality is I just I, – I don't say anything inappropriate. I have two children myself. I get that. I don't, I'm not inappropriate, but I'm just real. And I would tell parents, get more real with your children because they're starving for that. Yeah. If you're in a cir- circumstance where your teen is acting out, where your teen is having problems, your teen is not listening to you, you the, for whatever reason, you know, they – they're taking the divorce harder than you think they should. Wh- whatever the thing is going on in their life, or maybe there's nothing that you can pinpoint that's going on in their lives. My suggestion there is reach out for help. You're just going to beat your head up against a wall if you try to solve their problems because nine out of 10 of these cases, for whatever morbid reason, these children look at the parents as the, as the reason for their dysfunction. Right. And they could be wrong, holy. It could be nothing that you've done. But unfortunately, the, the teenage mind isn't very logical. And so reach out for support and find somebody who can just simply have a conversation. It doesn't mean like a nonprofit or a counselor. Right. Find that child a mentor in something that they love. Right. Uh, that, that's huge. If your child has an interest in basketball, find somebody in your community who is, uh, you know, has some kind of credentials in basketball that your child could hang out with and spend a little time with and allow that mentoring to just naturally happen. Right. If your child's into film and photography, I can promise you there are so many businesses in this world that are looking for, you know, interns and looking for different things. Encourage your child to go and, and do an internship at a, you know, production house or a marketing firm or or whatever else. Just encourage your child to find a mentor that they can start to allow that natural mentoring ship. And if it's something serious, your child's cutting, they're suicidal, obviously reach out to us. You know, right. I would love to have a conversation in that regard. Right. Thanks for that offer. We've got to wind down here pretty pretty soon, but I wanted to read a quote. You may recognize it. Um, it's about fear. Some say fear is the absence of courage. I say fear is the absence of trying. We fear the dark because we simply don't try to enjoy it. We fear heights because we don't try to look around at all the beauty from above. Fear doesn't come because we don't have courage. Fear is there because we simply don't take a moment and try. 
recognize that quote. <laughs> I do. I do recognize that quote. Yeah. It's been a while since I've heard it, but I recognize it, yeah. Yeah. Well, you said that somewhere. It's probably from your blog. I think this is terrific because, you know, it dovetails a lot with what we teach at, you know, Unbeatable Mind and Seal Fit is that, you know, f- fear is the absence of knowing what's on the other side of the gap. And so to get to that gap, you've got to move forward. You've got to take action, right? You've got to overcome uh, inertia, you know yeah. I mean? So it seems like you're saying the same thing and, and to, to frame this for kids super powerful because there's a lot of fear in our world and fear is in fear and negativity are just all over the place. And oftentimes, you know, just having some success moving towards something positive is, is really enough to get the, you know, get things rolling in a, in a much better direction. For sure. And, and what's beautiful about youth is they may have a lot of baggage for sure, but the elasticity of their brains is right. just so much better than us as adults. Right. And so we can make like the sugar thing that we talked about before. When a child, they're terrified to get off sugar, right? I'm not going to have enough energy. What else am I going to eat? That's a, a legitimate fear. Once they overcome that, now all of a sudden, they have created a new pattern. They've created a new direction. Their brain has literally chemically changed right. where they have completely new pathways on how to overcome things right. and how to change things. And even the framing, I just got done speaking at a foster facility, uh, which I love. That's, that, those are my favorite places to go and speak because it's just there's so much uh, more I can talk about without having to worry about you know politically correctness stuff in public right. schools. But I told them, I said, you know what? You complain about your lives. You say you have this horrible life. You have this horrible existence. Everything sucks, right? It's, it's horrible because your parents dropped you, all this stuff. Reframe that thinking. You have already gone through so much and you've, you're sitting here. You've overcome so much at this point in your life. And so reframing that conversation with them, and I spoke there, it's been three days, and I've already gotten some amazing emails, but the the staff there came and, and actually were the ones that gave me some just insane, insane feedback that really kind of hit me uh, because as we, when we're inside of something, we don't realize sometimes how, right. how profound what we're talking about is. And they came and they said, no one has ever come in here and said that these youth's lives are actually their strength and their benefit. Right. And I kind of stepped back and I thought, then have you not had anyone come and speak to these kids? Because that seems like, you know, 101 to me. Right. But, but it's not. But I want everyone to realize that is that when you just, just look at your, everyone can look in their lives and see something that they've overcome. They can right. see something that they thought they couldn't do and they've done. And that is the fuel to doing the next thing. Right. That's the fuel to making the next thing happen. Right. And I love it. I love, what, I love the mission you're on. I, I love that you brought that quote up. Like I said, I haven't heard it for a while. And it's true. I just... Fear is one of the benefits I have right now is the amount the amount of time I spent in the marketing world doing big boy marketing, right? right. Like big boy stuff. The, these companies that are spending had have collectively have probably spent I don't know at least a trillion dollars, if not more, on studying psychology of of, of humans, and they know what controls us. And fear and self worth right. are the two are the number one and number two thing. If they can scare us and they can make us not feel good about ourselves, we will buy anything they want us to buy. Right. So we have to, I get to take those same strategies that I sat once once upon a time in a boardroom and figured out how for you to buy a cell phone plan or for you to buy a Coca-Cola or for you to you know buy some program. I now get to use those in reverse and figure out how can we motivate and empower these children. Right. So it's really, really fun. That but, is awesome. 
but simple as well. Well, it has to be to get through to the kids. And I love this idea that, I mean, you, you have what you have in life, right? You've got what you got. You can yeah. change the past. And in that past lie the seeds of greatness. So find the right frame, you know, find the silver lining, you know, cultivate the positive aspects and use that to, uh, to drive forward. What a great message. Listen, um, Wesley, this has been very, very enlightening, very enjoyable. I think also very worthy for the listeners on Beal Mind. I super want to thank you for your time and, and I wish you good luck with your mission and that we stand by to support you in any way that we can. I love it, man. I appreciate it. You're, uh, you're just down south from me. So we right. should, we'll, uh, I'll find a time and we should hook up. Yeah. It'd be awesome to, to chat. All right. Thanks again. All right, folks, you heard it. Put the victim to bed. Wake up the hero instead. Wesley Chapman. Thank you so much again, Wesley. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, folks. That's it for today. The Unveiled Mind podcast signing out. Again, don't forget to rate and review what we're doing on iTunes and go and uh, opt in at unbeatablemind.com slash podcast. Uh, as usual, train hard, stay focused, have a lot of fun, and go out and do something positive today. Hoo-yah. Coach Devine out. Hey, you know yoga is for warriors. Maybe you've heard that my new book, Kokoro Yoga, is out. I'm totally stoked about this book. It's been over a year in the making. So go to warrioryoga.com to buy the book because if you do, I'll give you a couple free things, such as the first chapter of the book as well as a video for recovery. So prepare your body, mind, and spirit on your quest to self-mastery by checking out Kokoro Yoga. Go to warriorgo.com. Hoo-yah. Lock and load, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back. The pride of the fleets. The bright swinging frog men of the U.T.T. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.